If you came for a secret sensitive message, it's time to leave. Because <laughs> it's not going to happen this morning, okay? You know, what we don't want to do ever is apologize for the Bible. Amen? And we want to teach the whole counsel of God, preach the truth, do it in love. And so some toes will get stepped on this morning because the word of God, this is the judgment, the righteous judgment of God coming upon a wicked and a perverse world. And we're going to look at the harlot, who is the picture of Babylon, which is the picture of the uh, false church. So false churches, there'll be a one world religion in the last days. They will all come together and they will be preaching a false gospel. And we get a glimpse of that today. And we're going to touch on a little bit of that. But let's open with a word of prayer. Let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. Lord, we want to walk in truth. Lord, we want to walk in love, grace, and mercy. But again, also, we want to live holy and set apart lives. And Lord, we know that this morning's text is one that is very direct, and it's one that some people may struggle with. But Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. Lord, correct us if we need correction. Exhort us if we need to be exhorted. Rebuke us if we need to be rebuked. But Lord, we're thankful that at the end of this chapter, at the end of the next few chapters in Revelation, we know that you win. God wins. We have nothing to fear. So be glorified this morning. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. All right, Revelation 17. I got a lot of notes, so I'm not going to do the background again, the outline. I mean, we'll see if I get through all of this. I have, I think, 62 pages of notes, so hold on to your hat, okay? So if you have your outline, we'll get to that in a moment. But it's been said that people are incurably religious because God created us to worship. So we're all inclined to worship something. And now often today, people worship themselves, or people worship their career, or they worship a false god. Since the fall in the garden, man's innate longing to know God has been twisted and perverted, and people will seek something to worship, but sadly, most do not seek the true and living God. And man's need for a relationship with God has been corrupted by his love of sin. We are to hate sin as believers. How many of you guys sinned this week? Okay, if your hand's on up, you're a liar and a sinner. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but the truth is, we're all sinners. And every one of us did something yesterday that deserves for us to deserve help. Can I get an amen to that? Told you it wasn't going to be secret sensitive, okay? But we all have. And so... We're saved by grace. We're saved through faith, not of works as any man should boast. But what's happened in the world today is people come to a place where they love their sin more than they love the Lord. And the flesh is on the throne where God alone belongs. Into, God, into the spiritual vacuum that God, God created all of us with something missing. And what's missing is a relationship with him. And what has stepped into that, that place that's empty in our lives is the father of lies, Satan. And all the demons that follow him, disguised as angels of light, promoting doctrines of demons, playing a man's desire to worship someone or something, and they energize religious deception. Here's one of Satan's greatest tools. You ready? Other churches that don't teach the truth. Amen? What he'll do is he will give you something that looks like it's the truth, but it's not the truth. And we don't want to come across as self-righteous and we're, we're all one church and all of us that are born again believers. And I'm not of Calvary Chapel. I'm of Jesus Christ. But let me make it really clear. There are a lot of churches that are not of Jesus Christ. And they're teaching a false gospel. And that is the, the enemy's greatest tool to draw people away from the truth. The appeal of false religions and its promise to satisfy man's longing for the spiritual realm without bringing him under God's authority. You can come and follow this and you'll be God of your own planet one day. Or you can come and follow this and just do as you please. And there's these things that people are drawn away to that are false gospels that are leading billions of people to hell. In the rebellion against the true God, and because of their love of sin, fallen men willingly will turn to satanic uh, damning religions and worship of false gods. Because false religion is so much a part of the fallen world, it is no surprise it will play a major part in the end times. So we're going to talk about Babylon today. And Babylon 
is really a, it was physical places, but it's also a picture of people that are, have aligned themselves with idolatry, that have turned their, their backs on God and are following, again, false truth. So Babylon, we know that Babel was introduced to us in Genesis 11. So not long after the flood, the flood of, of Noah, his great-grandson by the name of Nimrod, him and his wife uh, came together, created this religion, and part of what they did was they began to build the Tower of Babel. You guys remember that? And what they were doing is they were saying that we're going to build this tower. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to reach up into heaven on our own. Guys, salvation doesn't come from you reaching up into heaven. Salvation came because Jesus Christ reached down from heaven, came to earth, went to the cross, took your sin upon himself, suffered and died, rose from the dead, and paid the price that you could not pay. Amen? It's not us reaching up. It's him reaching down. And so at Babel, we know what happened. The Lord caused their... Their languages to be confused. They were all split up. So all the way back in Genesis 11, you have Babel, Babylon. And now as we get to Revelation 17, we still have Babylon. We've had Babylon from the very beginning, people pursuing false gods, people pursue, uh, you know, praising themselves, making themselves their own God, trying to achieve it through their own efforts. And it's gone on from Genesis and it's still taking place as we get here to Revelation so what's happening at this point in Revelation with everything that's going on, all the bold, bold judgments were described last week in chapter 16. You can go to our website and watch it. Our messages are always free. Help yourself. But now we're going to see not just what happened, but who it is that was being judged and why were they being judged. And we're going to see God's judgment upon ungodly Babylon. With everything that will be taking place during the time of great tribulation, people will be desperately looking for a way out. They'll be looking for answers. And instead of repenting and turning to the true and living God in their desperation, they're going to turn to the beast. And who's the beast? <laughs> who's the dragon? Who's the beast? Thank you. Okay. People wonder why I'm repetitive. There you go. Aided by the false prophet and hordes of deceiving demons, the Antichrist will establish a worldwide religion. And Babylon, the great, uh, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And Babylon throughout scripture is associated again with an organized idolatry, blasphemy, and persecution of God's people. Wherever you see Babylon, you see the persecution of God's people. Wherever you see Babylon, you see idolatry. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Revelation. If you're coming on Thursday nights, Judah was taken captive to Babylon. And what did they do? They persecuted Christians and they were heavy duly, heavily involved in idolatry. It says in Revelation 14, another angel fell from heaven saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So as we get to chapter 17 and 18, we're going to see Babylon being highlighted yet again. Babylon was the capital of where Daniel was taken captive. He was taken into Babylon. And we noticed that even then, uh, Nebuchadnezzar raised up a God to himself and had people worshiping idols and they persecuted Christians. So throughout scripture, when we see Babylon, that's what we see. And guys, guess what? We're living in a time where Babylon is still around us. Amen? Are Christians being persecuted in the world? What's the answer? Yes. Now, I, we're, we're more persecuted in this country than we've ever been, but we still have no clue what persecution is. I don't know anybody who was burned at the stake for Jesus in, Cal, in the United States. Maybe it's happened. I don't know anybody who's gone through some of the things that the world goes through. But as we, as we will see in this morning's text, Christians are under attack and they're going to have to take a stand for the Lord. So grab your outline. I titled the message, The Great Harlot, Religious Babylon. When the world commits spiritual adultery by rejecting the true and living God and chooses to follow the false gods of the world. So there's religious Babylon, how they impacted religion and faith and spirituality. And then next week, we'll say physical Babylon, the cities and the nations that they raised up. We're going to see the judgment upon spiritual Babylon in chapter 17. We'll see the judgment upon physical Babylon next week in chapter 18. So I only have three points here. First of all, there will be no, one, no, there will be no escape for Babylon. 
Babylon, again, organized idolatry, blasphemy, and persecution of God's people. Babylon reigns for a while, but in the end, they are defeated. The enemy rules and reigns upon the earth to a degree right now, but in the end, he will be defeated. Amen? And so this is what we're going to see in this morning's text, that there's, there's this harshness and there's this desire to overthrow the true and living God. There's nothing new under the sun. This goes all the way back to Satan when he was cast out of heaven. So there'll be no escape for Babylon rejecting the true and living God to follow to following gods of their own creation. Number two, the woman who rides the beast. Anybody ever heard of that term before? Okay, we're going to see the woman who rides the beast, and that's going to be the harlot, and the beast is the antichrist. And so my prayer is that in a simple, hopefully a simplistic way, we'll be able to better understand both of those. The great harlot that works hand in hand with the Antichrist, first of all, she's a harlot. So she's a prostitute, right? That's the term used for her. What do prostitutes do? They entice you with their attraction and how they look. And then when you follow them, they destroy you. And that's exactly what this harlot is doing. It's going to look attractive to those during the great tribulation when, you know, all these judgments are coming upon the earth. There's famine in the land, and they're going to be enticing people with what looks attractive. Satan will always try to entice you with things that you think are attractive, but in the end, while she's outwardly attractive, she's inwardly corrupt, wicked, and blasphemous. You know, there's a book, in the, a verse in the Bible that says, the lips of an adulterous woman drip with honey, but the path to her house leads to hell. And so what happens is this false, this harlot is going to be attractive to the world. And this, you know, this one world religion is going to look like the answer. And people are going to line up in droves to follow the person she's pointing to is the Antichrist. So the scarlet beast is the Antichrist. He'll take the names and titles that belong to the Lord. He's the instead of Christ. He's not the opposite of Christ. He will temporarily use, temporarily use the great harlot. Look, the Antichrist and Satan himself, they're going to use a one world religion to get what they want, and then they're going to get rid of it. And that's what they do. Satan is always promising you something, and all he wants is to get what he wants from you and then to destroy you. And the same thing will take place in this morning's text. And then finally, the ultimate motive for the harlot and the beast. What's their motive? To use a one world religion to bring together nations and peoples under the authority of the Antichrist. Their ultimate goal is the same that Satan had when he was cast out of heaven to defeat Almighty God, to place himself on the throne. Here's the good news. At the end of the chapter, God wins. Amen? So heavy duty stuff. Open your Bibles there to Revelation 17. We'll begin in verse 1, looking at the fact, again, that there will be no escape for Babylon. So Babylon uh, and the Antichrist reign, we've seen in chapter 16, the last judgment's poured out. Now we're stepping aside. We're getting a deeper picture of that righteous judgment upon the earth and let's begin there in verse 1 and 2. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, John, as we know, uh, chapter 4, called up. God's giving him a heavenly vision of what's going to take place in the last days. And so now one of these seven angels that we looked at last week, each one poured out a bowl of judgment. One came to John in a vision and says to him, I'm going to show you what is going to happen to the harlot. He hasn't even seen the harlot yet, but he's going to be shown that judgment is coming. Chapter 16, we saw in detail the last seven plagues, and he says to him, I want you to understand what's going to take place. Now notice it says there in verse 2, in verse 1, it says the great harlot. The word harlot there in Greek is porne. We get the word for what? Pornography. Pornography. A woman who sells her body for sexual uses. In the Bible, sexual sins are often used to describe a spiritual unfaithfulness of God's people. We are called the what of Christ? The, the bride. So if we're the bride of Christ and we align with a false God, we are committing spiritual adultery or fornication. Amen? And so this woman being a harlot... Being a prostitute is someone who's drawing people away from the truth to follow after a false god. 
In the Old Testament, Israel considered uh, as a bride married to Yahweh. When Israel was unfaithful, they were described as a harlot in Hosea chapter 1. The woman speaks of, of a spiritual entity. The harlotry we're going to read about is people abandoning the true and living God for a false God, leaving the one we are to be married to to pursue somebody else. It's fornication, it's spiritual adultery. Again, he says, I will show you the judgment. Her judgment is assured. Before we even get into it, he's already telling her judgment's coming. Even though it hasn't happened yet, it's coming. And the same is true on this earth. And that's why we need to pray for people. We want to see people saved. We want to see people forgiven. But judgment is coming and it cannot be avoided. Nobody will escape the righteous judgment of God. Either you will allow Jesus to take the judgment for you or you will take the judgment for yourself. There will be no escape for Babylon, people worshiping the false gods and the Antichrist. Just quickly, I wasn't even going to go into this, but Noah's great grandson, Nimrod, his wife, they kind of created a religion. And the religion they created was kind of pseudo-Christianity. And what I mean by that is Christianity is still 2,000 years away. And what do they do? 4,000 years away, actually. And what do they do? So they said that they, they called her, her name is Seminaris. She was a high priestess of idol worship and gave birth to a son who she claimed was conceived miraculously. The name of the son was Tammuz. And he was considered a savior, and many ancient artifacts remain with a familiar motif of the mother, Samarinus, holding the servant infant, the savior infant, Tammuz, which predates Christianity. Now, again, we know that our God has been God always and always will be, and we've always had the old covenant was a relationship with him through the, the sacrifices and the pointing of the coming Messiah. Christianity comes into play in the new covenant when Jesus came and suffered and died. But it's always been about Jesus. He's always been the answer. It's always been pointing to him. What's interesting is that it was said of this little boy who was supposed to be the savior that he died and rose from the dead. So all these things that they're preaching are pseudo-Christianity. What's interesting is the name Tammuz, when you get to Canaan, his name is Baal. So now you know the origin of Baal and Baal worship. It's this false god that they said was miraculously conceived, that died and then rose from the dead, and he was the savior of the world. Many false Christs will come. Amen? And so all the way back at Babel, when they were building their own tower, they were creating their own religion, they were taking the focus off of the true and living God and putting it on themselves. False gods and idolatry often counterfeits and attempted imitators of the truth. So I'm going to just say this this morning. I love you guys. So that's what that means. Because I love you, I'm going to share the truth with you, okay? And my heart is not just to offend you to offend you, but some of you are going to get offended by what I'm going to share this morning. But hopefully it's none of me and it's just God's word. And if God's word offends us, we need to be offended. Amen. Amen. So false gods and idolatry. Jesus, the Jesus of the Mormon church, is he the Jesus of the Bible? They believe he's brother of Satan. They believe that he was one of many vying to be the savior of this world. They believe he is a created being. They believe God the Father uh, was a man on another planet who was such a good man, he got to be God the Father on this planet. And if you're a good man on this planet, you get to be God the Father on your own planet. Does that sound like the Bible? It's a false gospel. What do we do? We want to pray for the Mormons. We want to tell them about Jesus. Amen? New Age movement. They say that Jesus is an elevated guru. He had the best of all the auras. He just really glowed. When I was pastoring in Santa Cruz, I'd hear that all the time. Oh, he's an amazing guru. Well, guess what? If he's an amazing guru, gurus don't lie. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Can I get an amen to that? Jehovah's Witnesses, they say that Jesus is Michael the archangel. So they, they bring, here's what the cults do. Make man more and God less. They make man more and God less. So Jesus is in the Mormon church. He's a created being and he's the brother of Lucifer and you can be God of your own planet. With the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus is Michael the archangel and only Jehovah is God and Jesus Christ is not God. See, the reason I'm sharing these things with you is we can be sincere and sincerely wrong. 
We can be pursuing something that is not the truth. And that's what's going to be taking place throughout this entire chapter because what's happening is they've raised up a false religion with the, with the Antichrist as the one that they're worshiping. And ultimately behind him, we know that that is Satan. And so there are so many religious systems today that are doing exactly the same thing. We need to be careful. False gods, spirituality, idolatry, all counterfeits that will lead people to hell and separation from God. Again, you can be sincere and religious and sincerely lost. It says who sits on many waters, sits on many waters. That speaks of the fact that this harlot, this false religion will be impacting the entire world. It's speaking of the geography. So it will cover the entire world. Now keep in mind again, all the Christians have been raptured. There are Christians because people have gotten saved during the great tribulation. But now, the whole, now we, what we see is all this mayhem, the righteous judgment of God is taking place. People are desperate. They're looking for answers. Some of them will turn to the Lord. They'll be witnessed to by the 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. They'll have Moses and Elijah that they'll be able to be testified to and they'll be struck down dead and rise from the dead in the street and everyone will see it. There'll be many, there'll be an angel that appears in the sky and proclaims the gospel. So they're going to have an opportunity to be saved, but sadly, most are going to turn to this false religion and they're going to follow it because they need answers and they have, and in their minds, they have nowhere else to turn. No matter what your affiliation, what it really comes down to is this, your relationship with Jesus. Amen. What's, it, what's interesting is, and I don't agree with this completely. So you ready? I love you guys. How many of you guys have a Catholic background? Love every one of you. I love every one of you. I love every one of you. Okay? If you look at the commentators, virtually all of them say that Babylon and the harlot is the Catholic church. That's what they say. Now, now, I will say this, I believe the Catholic Church is a part of it, but I do not believe that all Catholics uh, have rejected Jesus. Amen. I do believe there are Catholics within the Catholic Church, that that's how they were raised, that's the place they've come from, and, and you know, I often think of it, there's probably a village in South America somewhere where the only church in town is a little Catholic church, and there's a lady that goes there and loves Jesus and reads her Bible, and she's going to heaven. Amen? Okay. That being said, much of Catholic doctrine is ungodly. It's false. When you go take communion, Jesus does not die on the cross again. Amen? They say the priest holds the bread, he prays a prayer, and it becomes the flesh of Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. He paid it in full. We're going to see some more descriptions of the harlot, and it's going to sound so much like the Catholic Church. So what I want you to know, I do not believe, I do believe there are believers within the Catholic Church, but I do believe the closer we get to the Lord, the more of those people leave the Catholic Church because Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Because another thing the Catholic Church teaches is that salvation is only in the Catholic Church. They also teach that you must have your first Holy Communion, you must have your baptized, you must have your last rites. And what they're doing is they're adding to the cross of Calvary. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? I'm not a, I look, it's where, when I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'm not going to pull out my Calvary Chapel membership card. Amen? Or my baptismal certificate from the Baptist church that I got baptized. You know, what do we, it's what have you done with God's son? It's not about a denomination. It's about a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. And so I, I'm, I'm sharing this with you out of a love for you. And if that's something you're, the church I pastored in Santa Cruz, half the people came from the Catholic church and my next door neighbor would go to mass on the way to church because you want to make sure he had both of them covered. <laughs> and so I'm sharing this with you because if you read the commentary and when we see the, the attributes of the harlot, you're going to go, oh, that's that. Oh, it's in Rome, seven hills, dressed in purple and scarlet and uh, covered in jewels, very wealthy. And you go down this list and you start going, whoa. And so I'm not like the commentators. There's commentators that say it's just the Catholic church and nobody else. I believe it's all the false churches. Amen. The Catholic church happens in this case to be one of them. 
So Christ alone paid for your sins, and Christ alone can save you. And guys, we don't put our faith in a denomination. We don't put our faith in a church. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 2 says there, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So the kings of the earth, there are going to be nations that align with the great harlot. And the great harlot is a false religion. They're going to line up behind this false religion with the Antichrist as its savior, with a false prophet pointing people to him as the answer. And all these kings are going to be enticed by what they see from the great harlot, which is a picture of this false church. They're going to commit spiritual adultery. They're going to be made drunk by her. They'll become obsessed with the harlot, passionately intoxicated with the Antichrist and his false world religion. So point number one there, there will be no escape for Babylon. He lets them know this is what's happening. Righteous judgment is coming. You've seen, and by the way, the harlot has been slaughtering Christians. And so the martyrs have been crying out for God's righteous judgment. And so point number one there, and I hope you all still love me, um, is that there will be no escape for Babylon. Number two, the woman who rides the beast. Let's take a look at her in a more detailed way. It says in verses three through six, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman on a scarlet beast who was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was written mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled in great amazement. Imagine being John and seeing this vision. First of all, notice he's taking out into the wilderness. I can think of no better place to see the righteous judgment of God coming upon something than out in a dry, deserted wilderness. So as he is there, he gets this vision of this, again, harlot that is the beast, rides the beast. So he's carried away in the spirit and the Lord shows him. He says, I saw a woman riding on a scarlet beast that was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. A harlot rides the same beast we saw in Revelation 13, chapter one, has seven heads and 10 horns, a woman riding the Antichrist and his dictatorship. So what it's saying is the false, this, this uh, false religion will be riding the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be the focal point of it. And so the way they're going to draw people is the Antichrist, we know, will raise from the dead. That's what the text says in the Word, that he's going to at least appear as dead and raise from the dead. And what's that going to do? It's going to draw people. He's going to be able to perform some kinds of miracles. That will draw people. He will be a charismatic guy. That will draw people. He will find some answers to some of the struggles they're having, whether it's famine or whatever it may be. It's going to draw people. So what they're telling you is this false religion is all focused on the Antichrist, This woman, this scarlet, this harlot is riding this scarlet beast and the beast again is the Antichrist. He will appear that he is united, false religions, all and and is in charge of all of them. The woman will appear in control as if the beast and the Antichrist is under submission to her. It's going to look to them like the Antichrist is just a part of this religion when he is, quote, the savior of this religion. They're going to follow after the Antichrist and not really understand fully sometimes that they, even, that they are. They're going to be following this false religion. This is going to be the answer. We have no other hope. This is where we're going to turn. It will appear again that they're united in, in these false religions and religious ruling over the Antichrist, supported by his power, the outwardly, again, being controlled by the Antichrist. The woman will appear religious to the lost world. So the people that maybe went to church and got left behind, never really gave their life to the Lord. Maybe they're part of the Mormon church. Maybe they're part of another church. All of a sudden, in the midst of all this, they're going to see some kind of religious symbol and they're going to flock to it because, they're going to, because God created us to worship and they're in a place of desperation and they still have an opportunity during the great tribulation to be saved, but a vast majority will sadly turn to the false prophet. Then it says the second part of verse three there, 
was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The, the horns and the heads represent nations and kings. So there are going to be nations that line up. Now, ten nations will be following this beast and this false religion. And the Bible later say it talks about it coming out of the old Roman Empire. So when they European economic community came into being a while back, many people aligned that with that group. It still could be that. They've had nations come and nations go, and God only knows. Um, and, and the good news is God is in control. But the seven heads are, first you have the seven mountains, which uh, the harlot sits upon, and the ten horns are the ten kings that she is aligned with. And so the self-deified Antichrist, it says there that, names of blasphemy, having heads of ten. He's going to take blasphemous names. He's going to refer to himself as names that, re, that only belong to the Lord. And so people are going to start to worship him and follow after him. He will fool the lost world. God sees him for who he really is. He's a blasphemer. He's a false God. And again, just like the cults that make Jesus less and man more, he's going to make himself more to a lost and a dying world. Look at verse 4. It says there, again, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and filthiness uh, of her fornication. Prostitutes dressed to attract people. So they're going to, in her case, it's going to look very attractive to follow after this uh, harlot, this great harlot. Purple and scarlet, these are colors of royalty, prosperity, and nobility. So again, Wearing those colors means there's wealth. The dye for those colors was expensive in those, back in the days. And so when you saw that, you knew that a person was successful. They were wealthy. They were noble. Outwardly prosperous. But she's outwardly prosperous, but inwardly corrupt and wicked and blasphemous. Uh, she has abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Again, while I believe is the, that the woman is more than the Catholic Church, I believe the Catholic Church will be a part of it. Many scholars, again, believe it's only. So here's the seven heads. There's seven hills in Rome upon which the Vatican stands. The arrayed in purple and scarlet, these are the colors of the robes of the bishops and the cardinals. Uh, gold, precious stones, and pearls. This speaks of great wealth. The Catholic Church is very wealthy. The golden cup of abominations, quite a few things which the Roman Catholic Church does are detestable. And I mentioned one, the mass. You know, when we... When we when we say that Jesus had to be crucified again or his body, we're holding his flesh, that's not, that's not accurate. That's blasphemous. Jesus died on the cross. He said it is finished. And then also adding works. You know, it's Jesus plus something else to save you. Anybody who adds to the cross is preaching a false religion. Again, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. They also refer to the Pope as the Holy Father. And they say he's infallible. So what they're saying is a man is never wrong, doesn't sin, and his word can even usurp the word of the Bible. That's a problem. The Bible says, call no man father, save our father which art in heaven. They call him holy father. Now, why? look, I'm not trying to beat up Catholics. That's not my heart. But what I want us to know is that, you know what? Whatever, if you can find something that's going on in our fellowship that's contrary to the word of God, please show me so I can put a stop to it. Can I get an amen to that? So what we want to do is we want to be open to the fact that we can allow tradition and we can allow things going on, you know, hey, well, we've always done it that way and we can just fall into that tradition and we may find it comforting because we grew up there. Whether it's the Baptist church or the Mormon church, whatever church, right? We can find, and so we, guys, we don't want to find our comfort in an organization. We want to find our comfort in Jesus Christ because he and he alone is the answer. They pray to Mary. They'll tell you, no, we don't pray to Mary. We just pray and tell Mary to pray for us and tell Jesus. But you're praying to Mary. If anybody could be grieved in heaven, it would be Mary. She would say, stop it. Amen? We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Bible says not to pray with vain repetition. Don't pray with vain repetition. Don't just repeat the same prayer over and over and over and over and over and over again. We should never do that. Guys, we don't just, but does the Lord just want you to, just to recite a bunch of words, you know, 
over and over? Or does he want you to crawl up in his lap and share your heart with him? Amen? Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I need your help. Not just repeating the same words, but in the Catholic Church and other churches, Episcopal Church. You go in, you make confession, and then they give you penance that you have to do. And what do they tell you to do? Go pray 50 Hail Mary. So pray to Mary 50 times, and that'll get rid of your sin. That's a problem. Amen? Again, look, I'm not mocking the Catholic Church. I love the Catholics. I do. I love them. But this is so evident in this text that it's unavoidable. Um, claiming salvation is only available through the Roman Catholic Church. By the way, salvation doesn't come through the church. We are the church. Amen? So salvation doesn't come from the church. It comes from Jesus Christ. Amen? So salvation is not in Calvary Chapel. It's not in the Baptist church. It's not in the Catholic church. It's in Jesus Christ. Amen? So if anybody tells you salvation's only through our church, that's a false church and run away. Can I get an amen to that? Notice what it says. And on her forehead, a name was written. The name on her forehead identifies her in more ways than one. Roman prostitutes frequently wore a headband with her name engraved on it. In spite of her glamour, she's still a prostitute, and don't be fooled by her outward appearance. He's saying, look, look, she looks great to the world. They're going to be attracted to her. They're going to be enamored by her, but don't be fooled by her. She's a prostitute. She's going to drag you off into hell. In spite of her glamour, she is still a prostitute, and don't be fooled by her appearance. There's a stark contrast between the woman of Revelation 12. Who is the woman in Revelation 12? Who remembers? Thank you. Israel, remember the woman, Israel. So the woman in chapter 12 is Israel, God's chosen people. And this woman represents the idolatrous, false, one-world religion that mocks God, shakes its fists at God, and tries to draw people away from the true and living God. So these two women, uh, thus related, are set against each other as opposites. The Antichrist corresponds with Christ as a rival and an antagonist, and so too, great Babylon is an antagonist to the true church. Notice what it says there, mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots, of abominations on the earth. How'd you like to have all that engraved on your forehead? Does that sound attractive? It's letting everybody know who she really is. The woman is a symbol of everything. The Antichrist and the one world false religion stands for. The embodiment of Satan's own um, drawing all churches together movement. The source of all idolatry and abominations, all spiritual idolatry, the religion of the world system. And again, once the born again believers have all been raptured, the remnant taken away, the judgment of God is being poured out. There'll be a uniting of all the world's false religions. They're going to look around and say, well, well, you're still here too? All the Christians left. We're still here. We're still here too. And what's going to happen is they're going to find a common need because they're going to be under great judgment from God. And they're all going to kind of come together and be willing to look past all their differences. And now they're going to all have one common Savior, and it's going to be the Antichrist. They're all going to put their hope in him. Like never before, they will continue to reject and openly mock God and murder those that will not take the mark of the beast. So they will be one world economically. There'll be one form of payment, probably the mark of the beast or something else. There'll be one politically with the Antichrist as the head of their party, and they will also be one religiously. The world doesn't, uh, again, it doesn't matter uh, what you believe, that's what the world will say, as long as you believe in something. You ever met those people? Well, as long as you're sincere, as long as you believe in something, you're okay. Well, first of all, it's stupid. Okay, here's the thing. As long, you can believe two plus two is six as long as you're sincere. Right? As long as you have a good heart about it. Guys, the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. And, we, and what the enemy wants to do is he's the father of lies and he wants to get us away from the truth and have us believing something that is contrary to the truth. And so when you say things, it sounds very uh, altruistic. It sounds very kind. Well, as long as you believe in something. Look, I love people enough that if they believe driving off a cliff won't kill them, I'm going to tell them don't do it. Amen? Tell them that it's not going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's not going to help you in any way. One 
of all the people they will tolerate. So they're, they're, they're going to be ecumenical. They're going to tolerate the Hindus, the Buddhists, the New Agers, Spiritists, people who have a satanic background. They're all going to be welcome. You know who's not going to be welcome? Christians. Everybody's welcome, except for Christians. They're going to welcome in Satanists and murder Christians. They're going to welcome in Muslims and kill Christians. Welcome in Hindus and kill Christians. It's going to be very clear that you're either for God or you are against him. One who will not be tolerated is the one who takes a stand, who says that Jesus is the only way. Those who refuse to take the mark, they will be martyred. They will be persecuted. Notice what he says there. Again, that he talks about how it's in verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. John was amazed because this wasn't pagan persecution, but it's persecution from other religious people. Back in uh, the 1500s, there was a Roman Catholic queen named Mary. She had a, uh, a nickname. What was it? Bloody Mary. She was known as Bloody Mary. And she had 288 Christians burnt alive at the stake for standing for Christian truth. What happens often is the persecution doesn't necessarily just come from the world. It can come from other people who say they, again, are religious. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Amen? He marveled that he saw that Christians were under attack from other people who claimed to have a faith in God. And guys, when you stand for the Lord, be loving, be kind, be gracious, never be self-righteous, but recognize when you stand for him, you're often going to face the same kind of uh, judgment, retribution, and persecution that he faced. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, point number three there, the ultimate motive of the harlot and the beast. So why are the harlot and the beast doing all this? What are they after? Why did the Antichrist line up with the false church? Why did they get all the false religions to come together? Why did they create this whole system? Why is the Antichrist the one in charge? Why is there a false prophet pointing people to him? Why are, why are they enticing people to, to follow them and then those who won't follow and take the mark of the beast are putting to death? Why are they doing all of this? What's the point behind all of it? Let's finish up the chapter and we'll see. It says, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and 10 horns. I'm going to tell you the mystery behind why this harlot exists. Why is there this one world false religion? Why is everybody lining up behind the Antichrist? Why are there false teachers and prophets which are tools of Satan. Look at verse eight. The beast you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, those words right there might give you a headache. Here's what he's saying. He was the beast who died. He came from the pit. He died they thought he was gone and he came back. And so what that has done, he, we, we saw earlier in Revelation, that he will be struck down dead and that he will miraculously be healed. And what's that going to do? It's going to get people to follow after him. So they're, they're in awe of him because like, well, who can raise from the dead? Well, again, Jesus rose from the dead. And unlike Jesus, the Antichrist is going to die again. Amen? But there's this there's this thing where we need to be careful too. Can I just say this? Total side note, Pastor Dave's opinion. We need to seek more the word of God than just looking for signs and wonders. Amen? Does God, does, does God still do the miraculous? What's the answer? Absolutely. Should we pray for it? What's the answer? Absolutely. But guys, a wicked and a perverse generation, the Bible says, seeks after a sign. Why? Because does the Antichrist have a sign here when he raises from the dead? Is that a sign? What's the answer? But is he God? Why? Because we always want to take everything and compare it to the word of God. I had someone tell me recently, well, a friend of mine had this vision and because of that vision, I did this. I'm like, well, that's fine. If you read the word of God, amen? 
Or somebody will have a dream, and I get people come to me, I had this dream, and what does it mean? And again, can God speak to us through dreams? What's the answer? Yes. But always go back to this. Amen? Because when it's of God, it will agree with this. It will never contradict this. Amen? All right. So verse 7, again, this is the, the beast of Revelation 13, 3. And he's the, again, he's the Antichrist. And then it says there in verse 9, it says, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now this is where people make, how many mountains are, how many hills are there in Rome? There's seven. So people believe this is the old Roman Empire. That's where the link to the Catholic Church is. I believe it's far more than just the Catholic Church. It's any church that will align with this false prophet, any church that preaches a false gospel. And then it says there, verse 10, there are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue a short time. Now, when you read this kind of stuff, here's what we need. This is a history lesson. So there's been seven major, there'll be seven major kingdoms, all of which are promoters of a false gospel and idolatry and persecutors of Christians. Here's the five that have already happened. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. The sixth one happened in John's day. It was ancient Rome. What are the, the Romans were feeding Christians the lions. You guys remember that? So the Romans were persecutors. They were followers of idols. They said that Caesar was God and you had to bow to him. And so we've had six different kingdoms, if you will, throughout the years that have taken on the same personality that this, that Babylon in the end, this false gospel, this false church will take. So there have been six so far. Then it says there'll be a seventh one. It says there in the verse, there'll be a seventh one. And then, and then after that, another one comes and he will be there for a short time. So the seventh one is going to be uh, the new Roman empire that rises up during the last days. And then what will happen at the very end is the Antichrist will rise up and he will be that last. And it'll be for just a short time because we know the tribulation's how long? Seven years. And then it will come to an end. Again, the earthly kingdom of the Antichrist has gone through various phases in history and we see that there's one remaining in the future. Verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. And as of the seven is going to perdition. So what he's saying is the beast, the Antichrist, is going to be that final world leader. After all these false idol-worshiping persecutors of Christians, persecutors of the true and living God, he's going to be the last one. And it says there of him that that he is going to perdition. What is perdition? What does that mean? Anybody know? It's destruction. So is the Antichrist going to win in the end? What's the answer? Okay. What about the, you know, the, the false church? No. So in the end, of course, we know that God wins. Look at verse 13. They are of one mind. Oh, verse Oh, verse 12, excuse me. The 10 horns which are, you saw are the 10 kings who received no kingdom as yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. What they're saying is all these 10 nations that are going to line up as this new Roman empire are all going to have a short amount of time of authority by walking with the Antichrist, but it's only going to last for a short amount of time. Verse 13, they are of one mind that will give their power and authority to the beast. So they're going to surrender all of their authority to the Antichrist. Isn't it, how amazing is this guy going to have to be to get all the nations in the world to line up under him? How many miraculous things is he going to have to do to get all the nations in the world to say, we'll sign up for that? And they're going to align with him. And the only people that they will go after are those who stand against him, those who stand with the Lord. Verse 14, these will make war. Here, here's why it happens. You ready? Why is there an antichrist? Why is there a, a harlot? Why is there a false religion? All for one reason. They got one motive. And here it is. They will make war with the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. They will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings and those who are with him are called chosen, called chosen and faithful. Who's that? Us. Us. We're actually in this chapter. How about that? 
We're the called, chosen, and faithful. Are we faithful because we're faithful or, or that God, by the grace of God? What's the answer? Okay. Who called us? Who chose us? We're on his team. So their entire goal is Satan is still foolish enough to think maybe I can still win. I've been thrown out of heaven. I'm going to raise up an antichrist. He's going to basically be Satan's tool. I'm going to raise up a false religion. I'm going to have them all worshiping me through the antichrist. I'm going to mount up a great army. I'm going to get all these kings on my side. I'm going to kill all the Christians on earth. I'm going to eliminate all the opposition so I can be ready for one more opportunity to overthrow the lamb. One more opportunity to become the one who's on the throne forevermore. At Armageddon, the world's armies will be waiting to fight Jesus. We'll see this in two chapters. In Revelation 19, 19, it says, I saw a beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Those who are with him will be called again faithful, called, called chosen and faithful. Guys, with Christ, when he returns, will be us a reference that can only apply to believers. In the midst of all the heaviness of what will take place during the great tribulation, the judgments, Christians being martyred, idolatry, beasts, false prophets, again, the false religion, Satan running amok. It's good to be reminded we're on God's side. Amen? It's good to be reminded when the world is in turmoil that our God is still in control, that no matter what the plots that the enemy has, in the end, God wins and praise the Lord for that. Amen? The Bible tells us the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. No matter what the trials, tribulation, or heartache you may be going through, this is but light affliction. It's temporary. The suffering's for but a little while. Heaven is better. Amen? Verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The entire, this is the entity of Babylon, and it covers a huge territory, a lot of places in the world. It will be multiple false religions that have people throughout the world, but it will also be many nations throughout the world, and they will all line up under this false prophet. Guys, the only way that we can be, the, well, let's say the main way that we can be prepared not to fall for this, you know you don't fall for a lie, you know the truth. How do you not fall for false religions? You know the truth. How do you, how do you prepare yourself to share with somebody who's caught up in that? By knowing the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. Now watch this as we finish up. We're going to see the judgment of the great harlot. Again, the great harlot, Babylon, the one world church, the one world religion. Look what it says in verse 16. And the 10 horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. It's always good to hang out with the Antichrist. <laughs> so the Antichrist is going to use this one world religion to prop up his own desires and his own, you know, put everything in, in place that he wants to have happen. And once the false church, once this harlot has done what he needs, he's going to wipe her out. I don't need you anymore. This is what Satan does. He will promise you some pleasure. And as soon as you commit to it, he's going to do everything he can to destroy you. You know, Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? And it's, and again, I'm telling you, this breaks my heart. But it breaks my heart when I'm driving down the street and I'm driving by a, a church that I know does not preach the gospel, that is a false church, and you see people in suits and ties with their kids and their families, and they're all marching in there with smiles on their faces, and my heart just breaks because the enemy appears as a father of, you know, a, a, a light, an angel of light, amen? And he wants to draw people away, and we need to, again, love people enough to tell them the truth. The Antichrist will not tolerate for long anyone being worshipped except himself. He's going to see that church getting more and more and more and more people worshipping, and he's going to go, wait a minute, I want that worship. Let's wipe it out. Let's wipe it off the face of the planet. The son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all, above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
It says he will burn her with fire. Once his power is in place, the Antichrist no longer needs the help of the religious Babylon. He will then work to dismantle and destroy her and this one row religion. And again, there's a lot of people that only use religion for a, to get what they want. A lot of politicians do that. Amen? All of a sudden, something happens, and all of a sudden, they're religious. And nothing in their life would say that. And we want to pray for them. We want to see them saved. But then when something happens, they'll, oh, we need to, we need to get on our knees and pray out. So there's a lot of people that will use religion to get what they want. And the same thing is true here of the Antichrist. He's going to use this false religion, seeking to get what he wants. Last two verses. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast till the words of God are fulfilled. You know what it just said there? That because they have been mocking God, shaking their fists at God, wanting nothing to do with God, and God has given them centuries to repent. He's given the people on the planet their entire lifetime to repent. Because they have chosen to align with the enemy, he's given them what they want. He's let them go in that, when you think about Pharaoh, right? Remember Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. And then it says that God hardened his heart. I believe that during the tribulation, there's going to come a day, there's going to come a point where it's too late to get saved. The seven-year tribulation, I believe more people get saved during that time than any time in human history. But I also believe that once the judgments keep coming and people keep shaking their fists at God, there comes a point when you take the mark of the beast, there's no turning back. And we see here in this verse that God will direct the judgment against this one world religion that walks in open rebellion against him, and God will even use the wicked to bring about righteous judgment, giving the world just what it wanted, godless religion and godless rulers. Last verse, and the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. The woman who you saw is the great city. No doubt in John's day, when cities reigned over kings of the earth, Rome was the power. And so the great city in his day was Rome. And we've seen a lot of things pointing back to Rome. And many people believe, again, the Antichrist will be born in the old Roman Empire, that the old Roman Empire is going to have a huge plague in what happens in the last days. So the great city associated with the harlot is one, and again, the one world religion that will be abandoned by the Antichrist and judged by Almighty God. The world is in rebellion against God, and we must be mindful to be in the world but not of it. Amen? I probably should have done that in two weeks because I went through a lot of stuff. But my heart is this. There are going to be false prophets and false teachers. There are false religions. And guys, we need to be we need to love the people that have gotten caught up in that. Amen? We need, it's not, there's coming a point where it's going to be too late to be saved. It's not too late yet. People can still get saved. Amen? And, and the one world religion, we see it forming already where, there we, you know, here's another thing. Catholics love you. The Pope has been really big on ecumenical prayer where he prays with Muslims and Hindus and him and the Dalai Lama and all this kind of stuff. And they all join together. And again, that might seem, oh, we're just being nice to other people. In Santa Cruz years ago, I was asked to come and pray. And I didn't know it was an interfaith thing. And when I got there, the first two people who prayed were praying to the sky and the trees and stuff like that. And I was, I was just nauseated. And I thought, why am I here? Because guys, we're either praying to the true and living God or we're praying to the enemy. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to be careful. We don't want to be self-righteous. We don't, act, we don't want to act like we're better than everybody else. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We're all sinners saved by grace. Can I get an amen to that? And because of that, we should be, every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen? So, in closing, the great harlot, a lot of stuff. Again, religious Babylon. The great harlot is that false church. Babylon is that false church that will come together in the last days. There'll be no escape for Babylon. They're not gonna get away with it. Righteous judgment will come. The woman who rides the beast, that's the great harlot who walks hand in hand with the antichrist, outwardly attractive, inwardly blasphemous. Again, the beast that she rides is the antichrist. The antichrist is going to use that, the one world religion to bring about his ultimate 
will, and desire. And the ultimate motive for the harlot and the beast is to use the one religion to bring together nations and peoples together under the authority of the Antichrist. And their ultimate goal is the same that Satan had when he was cast out of heaven, to defeat Almighty God and place himself on the throne. And as we will see in coming chapters, God wins. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And I pray, Lord, as we look at heavy texts like this morning, my heart is not to offend anyone. My heart, Lord, is to make sure we all understand the truth and that we don't allow tradition or things that we've grown up with to keep us away from walking with you. I do pray for all the people in Caneo Valley and beyond that are caught up in false religions, whatever they may be. Lord, give us divine appointments. Give us opportunities to point them to the true and living God. Never done in arrogance. Again, we're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But we just pray for opportunities to point people to the hope that lies within us. There's one true and living God. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Help us, Lord, to reflect you in a loving, in a kind, in a gracious way, but boldly speaking the truth so that others may be restored, others may be redeemed and forgiven. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen.